Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Before, heard that verse, like pretty powerful, pretty uh, famous verse. And I want to take that verse and over the next six, seven weeks together, do a sermon series we call Gospel Realization. Gospel Realization. It was a late fall day way back 15 years ago in 2008, pretty much this time of year right now. I was riding home in my 1999 Volkswagen Jetta, okay? As I put into my CD deck, which you don't even know what those are anymore, a burned CD. Anyone ever done that before? Okay? I had to burn a CD by a, a sermon by a man named Tim Keller who I'd never heard before in my life. Well, I did hear him, never really listened to him. It's like the second time I ever heard him speak. And I put this disc into um, my car. And I can remember when I got done with this sermon, I went into my house after I'd finished going through it, and I looked at my wife, Shelly, who, if you don't know my story, she died of brain cancer a few years ago. Um, I told my wife, Shelly, that I had missed basically everything that is central to the Christian faith. And not to be arrogant, but at this time, I had already had a master's. I had a master's of divinity, and I was working on a master's in theology. Like, I like school. That's all that means. It doesn't mean I'm smart. It means I'm an idiot and like school, okay? Like, I had all of these degrees, and I thought the gospel was something I already had mastered. I could tell everyone the gospel. I already knew the gospel. I was moving on to bigger and better things like superlapsarianism. And the reality is, this disc has radically changed my understanding of the Christian life. It has radically changed how we need to view the centrality of the gospel. In essence, I began to realize that all of my sin was fundamentally a failure to believe the good news of Jesus. It was not my moral fortitude. It wasn't my fact that I didn't do devotions that day. It wasn't because I wasn't part of God's people out living life together in missional communities. The reality is, is that every sin I ever commit is because I don't believe the gospel, which means the remedy to holiness is having the gospel take deep root in our life. We are Western thinkers, and so we think of growth from point A to point B, and we move from here to here. And oftentimes in our Christian life, we, if you're like me, we have the understanding that I move from point A to point B by learning more about the Bible. Anyone with me on there? Like, that's how we grow. We got to learn more. Others like to go from point A to point B and back to point A and point B based on their emotions and how they're feeling that day about the good news of Jesus. Others get from point A to point B by how much they're doing for Jesus. 
Is it important that we grow in our understanding of the gospel in Jesus? Yes. Does the gospel actually produce real emotion in us that should cause rejoicing? Yes. Does the gospel actually motivate us to go do right things? Yes. But none of those things in and of themselves are actually the good news of Jesus. And so I want to do a series with you on gospelization. There's a quote on the next screen that's on your paper that is um, kind of where I get this whole idea. John Owen is a a, a 16th century um, theologian from England who wrote this, that holiness is nothing but the implanting, writing, and realizing of the gospel in our souls. And this is where I get the realization of the gospel has to take root more and more in our life so that as we grow, I think we should think of of like a tree that every, every year the tree has a new growth ring, right? And so the gospel is the very center of our life. And the more that we actually believe the good news of Jesus, the more it becomes a reality deep in our souls, you get a new growth ring. You don't move on from the gospel. You actually continue to move out from the gospel. So that the reason people who trust Jesus and are walking with Jesus, and we look at them as like the, the heroes of our faith, whether they're like you know, well-known people or just your grandpa or your grandma or your whoever, It's because they've walked with Jesus and they have these growth rings around the gospel. And what I want to say is that this gospelization is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. We don't always get everything right all the time. But what it does is it sets us in a direction of knowing how to fight against our sin, what to do when we're struggling with sin. And it helps us to actually come and deal with the fundamental structures of our heart, the motivations of our hearts. And it's set within this, we're going to use this framework, this, we call it an eschatological reality. It's set within like this already, not yet, that we already are perfectly viewed by the Father as completely righteous. He treats you that way. Like, I think that's important that we make that distinction about our, our, our relationship with God is he doesn't just say you're righteous, but he treats you that way. What difference does that make? I know this is like a really old example, and I need to figure out a new one, but like O.J. Simpson, he got justified, right? He got in the court. He was righteous, right? He was good to go. How many people treat him that way? No one. And that's how it is with Jesus. He doesn't just call you righteous. He treats you as righteous. And so we have that because of Jesus, yet in the everyday life, we are struggling to work out what that righteousness looks like. So it's a process that you and I are gaining and going on, and it gives us a direction of where and what we should be doing. But I also want to say it's not just a process, but it affects everything. The gospel isn't just for the Ten Commandments. The gospel affects your parenting. The gospel affects your workplace, your vocation, the calling that God has put you in. It affects your hobbies. It affects every aspect of the life, that the gospel is the central part of the Christian faith. Why wouldn't we think that it actually influences every arena of our life? And so over the next six weeks, we're going to show you all the different ways that the gospel actually shapes and impacts us. But I also think that we need to hear the gospel 
over and over and over again. I don't know if you were like gospelization and half of you were just like, oh, he's talking about the gospel again. A famous reformer, Martin Luther, said, these are the 21st century version. It's the New Living Translation of the Greek, of the German from uh, Martin Luther. But he said, beat the gospel into their heads over and over and over again because they is the singular thing that we always forget. We always forget. Tim Keller writes this, that over time, all churches, which is you and me, no matter how sound their theology, tend to lose sight of the uniqueness of the gospel. And we fall into practices that conform more and more to other forms of religion or irreligion. What he's saying is this, is that if we are not reminded of the gospel and having it continually wash over our souls, the thing that we hold to be center, we're not going to actually live out as the center. Other things are going to become more important. And Tim Keller is like, we need to regularly do business with the gospel. D.A. Carson says that one generation cherishes the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, the third generation forgets the gospel. And the reality is, is that if you don't take it for, if you take it for granted, that if you think, oh, I know this, okay, that is the scariest place to be as a Christian. The call to Christian life, I would say, is not necessarily to try harder as in self-righteousness, nor is it to care less like antinomianism, which means I can just do whatever I want, God loves me. But the call to Christian life is to fight for faith in the good news of Jesus. It's to fight for faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a fight to believe. All of your life is a quest for what you are going to put your faith in, what you're going to believe in for rescue. And Paul and the New Testament writers are saying what you should be fighting to put your faith in to rescue you is the good news of Jesus. So, over the next six weeks, we want to do this series on gospel realization. This morning, I want to spend our time just defining the gospel. What is this gospel? What are we talking about? Because if we're going to have gospel realization, we actually better be very clear on what the gospel actually is. And so that's what we want to do this morning is unpack the definition of the gospel. So, Spirit, we pray that you'll help us. We pray that you will meet with us. Make this morning not just an intellectual exercise in defining the gospel, but make it a living reality that this is what we put our hope in. That we need the good news of Jesus again this morning to wash over our souls, that we are completely forgiven, and that we are now raised with the risen Christ, awaiting the new creation when we will rule and reign with Him. So we pray that this will be true of us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, awkward time for three minutes. You have to get with a partner. I don't care if... if if there's new people here and redemption people, I see you not meeting these new people, I'm going to come kick you in your teeth. I'm kidding. But just find someone around you. Uh, I want you to define, like, just 
Write down what you think the definition of the gospel is. Just take two or three minutes, have a little conversation with some people around you, and kind of like work together and come up with a definition of the gospel. There's a couple ground rules. I know some of you are going to be very snarky and just say Jesus, okay? And yes, but no, okay? Like, what about Jesus? Okay, so um, take some time and just kind of begin to unpack with people around you. And let's say, let's make it very safe. If you want to say, this is what I believe, go ahead. But you can just say, this is what, other, what I've been told. Does that make sense? That way, if you get it wrong at the end of the sermon, you're not like, oh, you're an idiot. No, okay? Just like what other people have said about it. So take a couple minutes. Feel free to meet someone new and write down, you know, some ideas or your definition of the gospel. So take a few minutes. And if anyone wants help, I'll come help you. Okay, why don't we come back, and as much fun as it would be to walk around and hear from everybody, my purpose in this exercise is for you to just kind of get your mind wrapped around some ideas of the good news. Now, what I want to do is actually walk with you through seven passages in the New Testament where the gospel is actually defined and make some observations about those as we go through. So passage number one, and these will all be on the screen for you, and they're written on that handout if you want it. But the very first time the word good news is used is in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it says this, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who bring gospel, who bring good news. Now, the Greek word in the New Testament for gospel is this word euangelion, good news. There's a Greek version of the Old Testament, and this is the exact same word that is used here as well as euangelion. It says, how beautiful are the ones who bring the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, the same word again is used, who brings the good news, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. What's the good news according to Isaiah 52, 7? The reign of God over all the earth. That is the good news. Because when the reign of God is actually being lived under and is, and is going to encompass all the earth, what does it bring? How many of you like some peace in your life? Okay. I'm done with insurance companies. There's like trying to get a new car and all the nonsense that goes with, like, it's disturbing. It's crazy, okay? Who wants happiness? Who wants to be rescued? This will all take place when God reigns. And this is actually the fundamental structure of the good news that the New Testament unpacks, is that the reign of God is at the very center of the good news, so I'm going to ask this question a lot. When you began to define the gospel, did your definition of the gospel include the reign of God over all things? Number two, passage number two is in Mark 1, 14 and 15 and Matthew 4, 23. These are both statements from two different gospel writers at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark says this, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. And what is the good news? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Okay, repent and believe the gospel. What is the good news in Mark 1, 14 and 15? That the reign of God, the kingdom of God is brought near. In the Old Testament, the gospel was this reign of God to come over all the earth. And now Jesus walks on the scene and says, that reign has come. That time for the reign of God is here. And Matthew says in chapter 4, verse 23, the same thing. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? What is the gospel in Mark 1 and Matthew 4? It is the arrival of and the presence of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus. So the very first two times we see this word used in the, New Testament, or in the Bible is in Isaiah 52, and then you go straight to Matthew and Mark 1. And the reality is, is that this good news is intimately connected. The reign of God is now here in the person of Jesus. And I ask you again, in your definition of the gospel, where is the reign in the kingdom of God? I get asked a lot, does your church preach the gospel? And when I was younger, I used to like give them a, they got, I gave them a 15-minute answer. You know, like, yes, we do, and I just would unpack it, and then he'd be like, I didn't mean all that. I just meant, do you believe that you're saved by grace through faith alone? Anyone heard that before? And I was like, that is not the gospel. The gospel is not faith and repentance. The gospel, the good news, is that the reign of God over all the earth is now here in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to come back to faith and repentance here in just a moment, but hold on to that. Passage 3, probably the most familiar passage Peter said, you know, Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the good news. Okay? How many of you, did the Corinthians need to be reminded of the good news? Yes. So you do. And so here we are. You've received it. You've taken your stand on it. By this gospel, you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And what is that good news? I passed on to you, number one, that Christ died for our sins. How do you know that? He was buried. And number two, he was raised on the third day. And how do we know that? Because he was seen by Peter and the 12. And then the rest of the passage goes on to say over 500 people saw the resurrected, risen Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, what does Paul say the gospel is? The death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if I were to ask you how many of you had that in your definition of the gospel, I would imagine that if you grew up in the church, 100% of you had the death of Jesus. But Paul says the gospel is not just death of Jesus, but also the what? The resurrection. So how does the resurrection play into this good news? How does the death of Jesus and the kingdom of God and the reign of God have like convergence? Because it almost seems like Peter and Je no, Paul and Jesus have two different gospels, right? Jesus has a gospel that the kingdom of God is here, and us evangelicals are like, no, the gospel is that you can be saved from your sins and go to heaven. But is that what the scriptures are teaching? But the center here, the good news, is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as I mentioned, I, I, and I'm going to keep reiterating this, I don't want to, you can't, 
talk enough about the cross of Jesus, okay? I'm not trying to downplay. What I'm trying to do is elevate the resurrection. Because there's going to be some important points at the very ends that we come to. I'm just going to give it to you right now. Of all these passages that we're going to talk about in the New Testament where the gospel writers and even Isaiah and Jesus and Paul and everyone who talks about the gospel, there's only one connection of the death of Jesus to the word gospel in the New Testament. But there's three times it speaks of the resurrection to the gospel. And I think not that the cross is bad and not the gospel, but there's a whole other more important part to the New Testament writers of the gospel about the resurrection. Passage number four, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes this, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. So what is... Paul connecting the gospel with in this passage. Number one, the appearing of Jesus Christ. We call that the incarnation. The fact that there is no gospel without Jesus Christ taking on flesh. And the gospel is also intimately connected here with the destruction of death and the bringing to life, bringing immortality to light, bringing it to awareness, bringing it to being able to see that we were made to live with immortality, to have eternal life. So in this passage, we have incarnation, we have the destruction of death, and the involvement of life, of immortality, of eternal life that Jesus brings. I'm running through these quickly, okay, on purpose. Passage number five, Galatians chapter three. If any of you had this in your definition of the gospel, you win your dollar, okay? Paul says this, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Pause, don't read the rest. If we were to be like, God preached the gospel to Abraham, Way back then, what would we fill in the blank with? That Jesus came to die for our sins. Wouldn't we put that? What does Paul say the gospel was that he preached way back with Abraham? That all the nations would be blessed. Okay, like this is integral to Paul's gospel, that this gospel was preached like 1,500 years before Paul is writing this letter to Abraham. And the good news is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Okay? Like, like, anyone have that in their definition? Just be honest. Yeah. Okay? Number six. Another weird one. Remember Jesus Christ from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Here we have again the resurrection and descended from David. Anyone talk about David? And their definition of the gospel? Okay, I want you to know this. You're going to see this theme, resurrection and David, repeated again by Paul. But there's something intimately connected to David and the resurrection that Paul says, this is my gospel. I'm not saying 
Jesus Christ dying for your sins is not part of the gospel. What I am saying is that Paul's gospel, he could say, my gospel is Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he's descendant of David. And we would all look at each other like, that's not the gospel. And Paul's like, that is the gospel. Why is David so important? God made a promise to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that one day one of his descendants would eternally reign over all of God's earth and he would have an everlasting house, an everlasting king, an everlasting throne. And this is what Jesus came and he did is he brought the eternal Davidic kingdom to realization. So for Paul, David's descendant, being a descendant of David is central. Then passage number seven, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this. Why? Because if I were to take one passage in the New Testament and say, let's, the most robust picture of the gospel, I think, is in Romans 1, verses 1 to 4, that Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son. Okay, so everything I'm telling you about the gospel was first recorded where? In the Old Testament, right? So if you're reading the Old Testament rightly, when you get done with it, you're going to be understanding what? Exactly what Paul is going to be saying. And this is what he's saying. That Jesus, who as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. This is the word flesh, according to his flesh, according to like his humanity, according to his flesh, his bones, his, his blood, everything that comes with being a human, it was promised that there is a descendant of David coming. That's in the Old Testament. And according to his earthly life, he is that person, that descendant of David. But number two, and th- number three is incarnation, descendant of David. Number three, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So according to the flesh, he's a descendant of David. But according to the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit has appointed him to be what? A powerful Lord over all the earth. This is Paul's gospel, that Jesus Christ reigns, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has come and destroyed the powers of Satan, sin, and death in the world, that Adam lost and forfeited and that Satan took over. His cross was the means by which that world was destroyed, and the resurrection was the launching of God's new world, this new creational world where Jesus Christ is now reigning over all the authorities and over all the powers And how did that kingdom come? How did that new creational world come? It had to come through the cross and through the resurrection. So as I try to put some of these pieces together, on the next slide, here are 10 threads of the gospel. Okay, and these aren't like, these are not inerrant. Okay, these are just things, as I put these seven passages together, came up with 10 threads. Number one, Jesus is the center. Number two, it needs to involve the inauguration of the kingdom of God. Number three, it needs to involve the death and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
because it shatters the power of death and it produces true or eternal life. And by the way, eternal life is not just breathing forever. Eternal life is being in the presence of God who is himself the definition and author of life. To be in the presence of God is to experience life. And this good news is about that life. It brings blessing to all the nations. It is prophesied and spoke of in the Old Testament. It revolves around David and the covenant God made with him. It requires Jesus to come in the flesh. And it destroys the powers of this world and has appointed Jesus Lord over all. Okay, I don't know how to put all 10 of those things in a definition. But my point is, is like, this is the essence of the gospel. That Paul could take all of these threads and say, these are aspects of the good news. And so I think it's important that we make a couple observations about this, and we're almost done. Observation number one, there is no singular definition of the gospel. What do I mean by that? When Paul says justified, if you've been in the church a while, you know that word. It means to be declared righteous in the sight of God. That's what justified means. We're justified by faith. We're declared to be in the right by our faith. Every time Paul uses the word justified, it's a singular definition. But when he uses the word gospel, it has all of these different components to it, all of these different aspects of it. So I want to be very careful that we don't make the gospel one thing, but we come to see it's this complete package of the totality that Jesus Christ is Lord over all through his death and resurrection, and this is beneficial to all the nations. So I don't think there's one definition of the gospel. Aren't you thankful? Because when you wrote your definition down at the beginning, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you may not have the whole picture. Number two, and I think this is really important to grasp. Really important to grasp. Observation number two, one's understanding of the story, God's overall story, determines how you define the gospel. Once you begin to put all these pieces together, you have to create a story. So I didn't do this, but if I were just to tell you five statements, you know, there's a ring of power. Statement number two, there's these little people called hobbits who find, the ho- who find a ring. And I just give you five statements about the Lord of the Rings. And you had no context to the story. How would you make sense of those five statements? You couldn't, could you? Unless there was some overarching story that actually gave meaning to each one of those statements. And that's how it is with this gospel, that when I give you these ten statements, you, you have to create some sort of story to make sense of all of those statements. And so until we understand Paul's background story... We're not going to fully grasp what the good news of Jesus is because you need a story to make sense of statements, especially these 10 statements. I don't know if you notice this, but nowhere in our digging this morning, and I didn't hide this verse from you, by the way. I don't, if you find it, you can yell it out 
nicely, but so we can all hear you. But I have yet to find a verse where Paul ever connects the good news of Jesus with this place we call heaven. Did you catch that? How many of you would ever hear a gospel proclamation without the bonus of you get to go to be with God forever in heaven? Like the reality is that heaven is not the good news. Heaven is not the final ending place for us. But you know why the gospel that we have in America, the evangelical gospel, is always talking about heaven? It's because of the background story that we have to Christianity. That the goal is for us to go up to be with God. And so because that's our story, we include that in our gospel proclamation. Does that make sense? You don't have to agree with me. I just want you to know, like, does that make sense? But Paul's story doesn't have us going up to be with God forever. Paul's story actually says this is how God is going to come down to be with us. And your understanding of God's story determines your understanding of God's gospel. So we talk a lot here about the story of God because it actually determines everything. It shapes what we believe and until we believe and understand Paul's story, we're going to have a really hard time putting all 10 of those threads together in an understanding of the gospel. Observation number three, faith and repentance themselves are not the gospel. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news of the gospel. If repentance was part of the gospel, he would be saying, repent and believe that you need to repent. It just doesn't make sense. Why is that? Here's why. All news demands a response, especially today. You turn on any news station, whether you're blue or red or you're Fox News or MSNBC, I don't care, but you listen to that news thing coming out. The first thing you probably ask yourself is, can I believe these people? Is that true? That's what I do. Like, I don't believe media anymore. Like, I have such a distrust in them that whenever I hear any story coming my way, it demands a response from me, right? Am I going to believe this news or am I not going to believe this news? Let's take weather, for instance. I believe them a little bit more. Like, they say a hurricane is coming. I have to be like, okay, do I really believe a hurricane is coming? And if I do, I have to repent. I've got to change my mind about that. What do I have to do? Go with the other 5,000 people to the food line and grab every piece of paper towel I can, or toilet paper I can. Like it demands a response. Like I believe this news and now I have to change my life on it. But the reality is, is that some news doesn't just change your day to day. Some news changes your entire life. And the gospel is that type of news. We call it a, a meta-narrative, a, a massive, game-changing, life-changing news that if this is really true, you don't just one day a week go to church. If this is really true, you don't just occasionally try to be a good person and help the poor. 
If this news has been declared that there is a new Lord over all the earth and the powers of sin, Satan, and death have been destroyed, he is coming back to bring God's world to us. That news is so life-changing that it demands a response. All news demands faith and repentance. You can choose to do it or not to. And Jesus says there is news Good news, the greatest news that demands your life, your all. Faith and repentance in and of themselves are not the gospel. They are a response to the gospel based on the news that Jesus is actually claiming. And you can choose to reject that news. I don't think you should. I think you should see the, 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 what Jesus actually is coming to do. Number four, the gospel involves the cross and the resurrection. It involves the cross and the resurrection. Do you know why you've been saved from your sins? Not just so you can go to heaven. You've been saved from your sins. I said this in a sermon a couple weeks ago, that the cross of Jesus doesn't as much save you from your sins so you can go to heaven. It saves you from your sins so you can actually become who God has always made the church to be. The cross forgives you of your sins so that you no longer have to live in the world that Adam lost, but now you can be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son so that the forgiveness of sins is a transfer into a brand new realm, a brand new world that Jesus in his resurrection launched and is now Lord over this new world. Which is why the writers of the New Testament say this age is passing away. It's coming to an end because the cross of Jesus destroyed that world. It's still with us, but it's like coming to an end. But the new world is like a dawning of a light. It's there. You can see it. And one day it's going to be in its fullness. So the death destroys the power and the, the reality of Satan's sin and death of the world that Adam lost. And the resurrection launches the new creation that if you are in Christ, it has come to you. I think the NIV in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you grew up in the church, has the best translation. It doesn't say if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. It says if you are in Christ, the new creation has come. It has come to you. The kingdom of God and the new realm, the new world that Jesus is reigning, that was launched in his resurrection, is here. And this is why I think Paul is so connected to the resurrection of Jesus and the gospel. Because it is the appointment of Jesus, of Lord over all. Then number five, and this is what we're going to unpack over the next several weeks together. The gospel is not everything. We need to make a difference between what the gospel is and what the gospel does. We don't live the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus did and what he's doing. We participate in what that's doing, what he is doing. We don't live it. We, there's, but there are implications of what this means. And if, the, if all that we have said about the gospel is true, I mean, the threads go everywhere. The tentacles weave through every arena of life, every aspect of this world. So I want to be very clear and make a clear distinction between what the gospel actually is and what the gospel does. 
Is the gospel going to make a brand new world where there is complete peace and life and love? That will be an implication, but that is not the gospel. Doing good for people, is that the gospel? No. Is feeling good the gospel? No. Is learning good? Yes, but it's not the gospel. What is the gospel? That's what I want to talk with you today. And I'm going to define it this way. And I know that I don't have all 10 of those threads. But I want us to come to believe the gospel is the good news that God has come in the flesh, come in the person of Jesus, to consummate, to bring about his kingdom throughout all the earth through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. The good news that God is coming, has come in Jesus to bring his rule and his reign, his will on, on earth to be done as it is in heaven here. And that is all possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. So it's my prayer that today was just more of like an introduction that we'd get on the same page about what the gospel actually is so that we can actually begin to see how it takes root in our life, how it actually plays itself out, and how we are called to put our faith in this gospel every day of our life. So Father, help us to see the beauty of this good news. Help us to see that Jesus is Lord over all. That one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to you, Jesus, that you are Lord. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you have come to take away our sin, to bring us life. You have come to bring redemption. And we're part of this blessing of Abraham, we are the nations who are experiencing this good news. So I pray that over these next six weeks we'd be reminded that we would, our faith in the gospel would be nurtured, sustained, maybe even through this time together actually create for the first time faith in this good news. So Jesus, we commit the service to you and commit our lives to you for the sake of your kingdom we pray amen thank you for listening to the redemption church podcast to learn more about our kingdom ministry located in chesapeake virginia visit weareredemption.org